0: Welcome to CampCast, the podcast of the Virginia Headwaters Council. CampCast is a place to hear news from around Virginia Headwaters Council and to deepen your scouting knowledge from the voices of scouters and scouts. Today, Melissa will join us to discuss the use of Native imagery in the BSA. In a recent email survey taken by 35,000 current and former members, the National Organization asked a broad range of questions about what changes, if any, should be made to the usage and portrayal of Native American imagery, ceremonies, and rituals. Melissa Watts is a member of the Yurok tribe and a scouter with Troop 111 in the Monticello District of Virginia Headwaters Council. Before we begin, we need to acknowledge that the Virginia Headwaters Council is built on the traditional lands of the Monacan people.
1: Melissa, thanks for joining us today, especially since you're actually on vacation right now. Um, So a special thanks for you to take some time out to talk to us today. Uh, Since this is Campfire Stories, we would love to hear your favorite camping story.
2: So being a regular listener, I know what you're really asking. So do you want my favorite campaign story or like, what is it? My level two fun campaign story.
0: Okay. So I think first of all, it's type two fun.
2: Okay. Type Um, two fun.
0: and, And clearly we need to explain this again to everybody. So there are three types of fun in all things. Type one fun is the kind of fun that it's totally exciting in the moment. You know, it's fun. For many people, this is like riding a roller coaster, going to Disney World. I mean, I'll freely admit that for some people, that's type two fun. Type two fun is those things that are only fun after the event happened. So the horrible rainstorm that you know blows all the tents down, that everyone is you know, crying in their sleeping bags. But three days later, when you're talking about it, your troop meeting, it was the best camp out ever. That's type two. Type three fun is just not fun and it's never is going to be fun.
1: It's so not fun. It's not even fun to talk about it later.
2: <laughs> okay. So the one that I picked is type three. So I'm going to just move on to my uh, favorite camping trip story. <laughs> and thank you for the clarification. That's helpful. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning with the kids in my camping experience because I didn't get a chance to scout as a kid. And I love the fact that that girls and, and women are a regular part of the, the program now. But my favorite story is recent. So it was last fall. Our troop went on a backpacker in the Mount Pleasant area. And it was a long day of hiking and kind of getting our kids used to backpacking and carrying weight and and taking our time and it just it was a long day we're excited to get to where we were camping and the area that we were camping was this beautiful uh, like prairie area with some trees and just a wide space of grass which was really nice after being on you know narrow trails all day and as soon as we got to that area on the other side of this this clearing another scout troop was showing up at literally the same time, and um, shout out to Troop thirty seven thirty seven eleven. That's who we met, and either groups knew that we had the same plan, and so it just ended up being this incredible evening of campfire and stories and games and fellowship. That just was that that magic of scouting that just happened right on the fly like that, and I. I I think that is my absolute favorite experience so far.
1: So, Kyle, I, I mentioned this to you going in. I knew that that of all the people we've had on our on our podcast, that the one person who was going to have this wholesome, lovely story was going to be Melissa. Everyone else, it was, remember that time that, you know, Jimmy got mauled by a bear and... <laughs> I was putting my tent up and my pole went up in the air and I got electrocuted. You
0: know? <laughs> I, I think, I think Adam, first of all, we have to remind, tell everybody that we edited out all those stories because they were too bad for uh, public oh, consumption. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, of course, I, I thought she was going to talk about the time we went camping together. But, you know, with uh,
2: <laughs> I'm sure if I was doing this for longer, um, I would probably have some, you know, being mauled by bear stories and stuff hopefully not because i paid attention during training but um but yeah no i'm still new at this i give it time i'll have some
0: before we get going too far i think we have to explore that you're new to scouting things so uh and i'm going to say this because i know that this is the truth so true or false before you became a unit leader you were a scout widow meaning that your your husband and, and kids would go away for scouting events and you were left home alone
2: no, to clarify, husband and one child, no, no, no. At first, just the husband left. And then I was home with the two kids and thought this was just unacceptable. And then when the first kid at least was old enough to start going with dad on places, then I was home with a toddler. And that was kind of unacceptable. And it just kept happening. And they just kept having fun that I was like, forget this. I've, I've got to join. And and be with my family because apparently this is where they're going to be. So here I am.
0: (laughs) Were you anti-camping before all this happened and scouting changed your mind or were you pro-camping just not in the scouting movement?
2: That's such a good question. Um, I mean, if I say I wasn't into camp, like camping, I feel like I won't be able to like raise my head and... our group environments but it just it wasn't really something when i was a kid my parents did a lot of camping because it was the 70s and that's apparently what we did but my grandparents always showed up in an rv so i was in the rv with my grandparents and living the good life and my brother was in a tent in the dirt and stuff so which he loved and i never understood that but here i am at my age totally understanding why it's it's amazing
0: well, I, I think this is a, a call out to all the uh, scout widows out there that uh, <laughs> it's never too late to start your camping and scouting experience.
2: Just join.
0: The the best part about a campfire is, is everyone someone is always welcome to sit down at the campfire and tell a story or share a cup of coffee. Uh, and that's the best part of scouting in my mind.
2: Absolutely. That's where a lot of the learning happens. If you're new to scouting, and you're unsure, you don't have to be a, an expert at all. You just have to listen because stories will be told and, and different information you'll pick up along the way. It's, it's been fantastic.
0: So I think for a lot of our, our listeners, um, this debate about native imagery is probably an area where they have um, some deficits. I think for most people, they don't understand why it's important to have this conversation about uh, the use of native imagery in uh, the scouting movement. And I, you and I have talked about this uh, in the past, um, based on our, both of our backgrounds, but I, I wanted to start and ask you what you thought about receiving the BSA survey on native imagery in the program.
2: Yeah, I had heard rumors that it was gonna go around. I think I even talked with you guys about it. I was kind of afraid of um, just kind of what would be asked and, and the things that would be uh, highlighted as in terms of, of areas of importance and I'll be honest, when I opened it, I was really pleasantly surprised with the, the questions that were being asked and, and the questions that were even being considered and really interested to to see like a, just an overview of what the general answers would be. I thought it was really thoughtful in terms of just not taking away these elements out of BSA and OA, but but having something, to feel that space and um, to, to keep a certain amount into the program, but just how to do it in a more thoughtful aspect. So yeah, I, I, I had a lot of thoughts around it, but when I, I opened it and, and proceeded to take the survey, I was actually quite encouraged with what I saw.
1: So from your experience, what are the biggest challenges that scouting has with using native imagery in the program?
2: Um, I mean, I can just speak about what the biggest challenge for me is, um, it just would be like implementing these things with context and education. I mean, like feather headdresses are cool and everything, but we need to be mindful of what these things mean to the different tribes that were borrowing these these items from and, and using these in in different stone ceremonies. I as you know, before because I had no scout experience to see an OA uh, ceremony as an outsider and before scouting as a Native American was a little bit jolting um, because I'm like, what is this? It just just looks like cultural appropriation, and and I don't know about this. And you know, my husband was able to explain to me the importance of what this meant to him as a young man um, going into the OA as a scout and um, how important it made things uh, feel. So having my husband explain to me the importance of it and how impacting it was, and for him, and I think Adam, you and I have talked in the past before mm-hmm. about that being sort of a gateway to being interested and, and curious about Native American culture, indigenous history. So I I love that. And now having, having been in the BSA and a, a member of the OA, The reverence of which it's kept is is really impressive and it makes me very hopeful for the people that we have coming up in our program. But I I also don't know how other councils and lodges approach it. So it just, it needs to be across the board with respect and reverence. Um, And just, yeah, like I think just handled with care.
1: Without naming names, I have seen photos of ceremonies from another lodge We'll just say on the East coast of Virginia, where three of the four principals are wearing ground length war bonnets. Oh boy. And so as you might imagine, that's maybe not culturally appropriate. Um, Yeah. And so I, I do think that is a point in our favor that we have had a history of within our council trying to be respectful, maybe not always hitting the mark every time, but learning and making changes. Right. And we need more folks like you to to come in and say, oh, "Are we sure about this?" or you know, just just ask questions, I think.
2: Well, you know, I can only speak for myself in terms, you know, like I, I am Native American I'm a member of, and I am an enrolled member, which is a big point, I guess, when you speak to some folks of a federally recognized tribe, but like I am just one person with one be- set of beliefs and opinions but i i do I do recognize how our specific lodge has handled it the, the use and even the big changes with a lot of grace and and understanding and willingness to learn and and adjust and I, I've always been very impressed with that
0: you know you guys have both brought up a lot of points about uh reverence, and I think the other thing that uh, we highlight is the need for conversations and difficult conversations because Um, I think there are a lot of people, uh, both from, um, both register members of tribes, uh, as well as outside that who see, um, scouts, um, in, uh, native attire, sometimes inappropriate native attire for the region they're in, uh, and ask a lot of questions. And I think it, it can be taken in a lot of different ways. And there are probably people who will listen to this podcast and, and get, fairly upset about even having the conversation. So I think those difficult conversations are really important. And so since we've talked about some of the, the challenges, why should the BSA keep some of these activities as part of the program? What are the positives?
2: I could probably spend an hour or more talking about the positives that can come from having the BSA retain a a part of Native American history, Indigenous history in their program, we barely touch on these subjects in depth in public school. I mean, there's, I think, like one unit in maybe fourth grade, and I could be wrong, I just can speak from my own kids' experiences where it's a very surface level education on our Native Americans in our country. And BSA, we're in every little corner of this country. We are in big areas, we're in small areas, we're all over. And so are Native Americans and tribes. And if they're not obvious, like if you don't live in Oklahoma, if you don't live, you know, in New Mexico, you live in central Virginia, you have tribes all around you. Just people may not realize that. And the fact that people may not realize that is a ginormous problem. So to have a really good indigenous education in BSA to teach these kids about the Native Americans that they share land with is such an awesome opportunity to teach from a young age so they can be good stewards of this history. It is the absolute symbiotic relationship between tribes and BSA because they can help each other achieve amazing things. And I know I sound, you know, like, like I should be on a pillow somewhere, but I mean it's it's the very truth. like the Native American tribes need the support of the American people in order to remain just absolutely the Americans they are before they disappear. And what better way to do that than integrate into our our youth society. So when our kids grow up, they're voting members of this country and will remember their influences from the indigenous community. so it, it's it's such an amazing. Partnership that I hope, and that's where I got excited when I read some of the questions about the survey because it specifically asked, like, why, you know, how would you feel about partnering with local tribes and the the Boy Scouts programs? Like, I think that is a heck of a good idea, and I, I I'm sad that it hasn't happened heavily already. So I, I'm super excited, and that is a very positive thing that we can do as BSA to to implement that and still keep those elements that get kids excited about indigenous culture without just wearing the cool stuff to just touch on this idea of Native American history and and stories and lore and different things. We can actually invite these folks to come to the fire and share them themselves. I mean, what is isn't cool about that? I might be biased, though.
1: So one of the ways that I think most scouts interact with uh, the culture within the program is Indian Lore Merit Badge. And I know that you're one of uh, one of our counselors for Indian Lore Merit Badge. What do you think scouts take away from that merit badge other than the stick game? That the I
2: stick know? game? Yeah
1: was crazy about when he took Indian lore with the last summer
2: camp. <laughs> I think he was the reigning champion. Um, <laughs> full, full disclosure, I had no idea what the, quote, Indian stick game was, unquote. Um, so I had to, like, do a quick Google search before I taught that merit badge at camp. And, um, yeah, it's fun. I encourage everyone to give it a try when they get out there. Um, but I absolutely love teaching that merit badge. I mean, come on. It's, like, right up my alley. Um, I. Rarely find kids that aren't totally captive when they take this merit badge, and you know, not to you know compliment myself, I do a pretty good job of it. And there's just so much you can pull from that keeps it interesting for the kids, and it gets them thinking, it gets them researching what's around them. When we did the online merit badge classes during COVID, I had at one point eighty something from all over the country I'm not quite sure what happened with registration but it went wide open I had kids in Hawaii I had kids in Japan I said the indigenous history around you doesn't need to look like my history around like you are in Hawaii you've got some rich indigenous history to look into like go for it and just the things that caught these kids eyes and interest and this merit badge encourages them to find out their, their dwelling structures, their recipes, their foods, um, clothing. We had kids making clothing. Um, I got pictures and videos of um, kids trying new recipes. Like it just, it is fascinating. The kids get super into it. So I, I think it's, you know, I'm biased, but it is my favorite merit badge. And I just, I love how excited the kids get about it. it that alone should show there's so much space in BSA for this kind of education.
1: It was definitely one of my favorites uh, growing up. It was one of the first ones I signed up for when I went to summer camp. And uh, the way they had it set up at T. Brady Saunders was like a, almost like a model campsite, but you know how it might have been you know, ah, for the awesome. area. And there was, there was a teepee, which may or may not have been culturally accurate. But one of the cool things was you got to sleep in the teepee. That was part of the oh. merit badge. It was maybe not a requirement of the merit badge, but one of the right. fringe benefits was you got to spend the night in the teepee. And that was, that was pretty awesome. I was pretty Oh, excited.
2: that's awesome. So when I taught the merit badge last summer, week one at camp, um, part of it is, you know, create a dwelling. It's like, okay. So I looked to see what supplies we had for the merit badge and it was all teepee kits. <laughs> and I just couldn't. <laughs> like, just, we're not going to do this. Adam, your son was one of my people. Like, you know what? We're going to go on a little walk and we're going to gather some supplies. And I'll teach you what people actually lived in around here. And we made little wigwams, and and we used sticks and grass and did our best to tie lashings with long grass. And and they got the gist of it. But I felt a whole lot better about that than opening the package from Oreo Milk Treating Company of how to make a teepee.
1: The instructions probably
0: hadn't changed since I took the merit badge either. Most
2: likely, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think you bring up a really good point here that uh, about some of the challenges that count different councils face because um, we are luck- lucky to have you, who um, you know brings your own background and your own culture to this and has a, an ability to think uh, outside the box as well. Um, I, you know. I'm lucky enough that I grew up in Oklahoma and got to experience uh, Native culture uh, firsthand and uh, uh, learn the oral traditions from um, some of the Choctaw code talkers, uh, which enriched my life as as a young person. Um, but I don't think everyone has the ability to to do that, and so and unfortunately, like when people think um, about Native cultures, they Think about uh, dances with wolves and teepees, uh, which is probably not necessarily the best way to get that exposure. So if you were to make recommendations to local councils, how can they partner with the tribes around them uh, to bring in some of the the local traditions, the local stories, and to help the youth really understand uh, what the Native peoples in their region were doing?
2: Absolutely. That's a really good point, Kyle. Um, so, I mean, we live in a, a, a very rich indigenous area in terms of history. Uh, I mean, with that, the legends of Pocahontas, different things originated in our area. And when I started doing research for the Merit Badge, um, because, you know, I had limited knowledge of what was, you know, Central Virginia um, Native American tribes and you know we've got the, the Smithsonian Museum of of the American Indian right in our you know backyard. We have tribes that have established reservations: the um, Chickahominy, the Pamunkey, uh, the Monacan. Uh, we have all these tribes around us. I know that the Pamunkey tribe just outside of Richmond, right, Kyle mm-hmm. or Adam? That's right. Um, they have uh, an established res- reservation where they have their own fish hatchery. Uh, potter's school, um, they do a certain kind of wood-fired um, pottery that is very um, specific to their tribe. Um, there, there's so many places that you can go and visit, that you can take your, your Cub Scout pack or your, your troop to go, um, reaching out to them, partnership with them, see if you can do a service project on their lands in return for being able to stay for a weekend, uh, coming up, I believe it's the same weekend as Spring Fellowship is the Monica and Pow um, sponsoring and supporting dancers just attending and enjoying the food vendors and, and um, enjoying the weekend and watching the dancing. I mean, just supporting their culture and being present for it. And, and just reaching out, um, I don't believe people should be afraid to try to reach out. It might take a little bit to hear back from them, which Adam and I both know, but, um, but it is worth it. And more and more as years go on, you're seeing a much more um, clear online presence of, of different tribes and who to contact if you would like to maybe have your unit go in camp with them.
0: So I just want to highlight the importance of the service projects for a lot of our uh, Indigenous people because it is an area where the BSA doesn't often reach out. Uh, we're very comfortable reaching out to our chartered organizations and local parks and building park benches around the country. <laughs> no park bench shall be left behind. Um, but <laughs> but there there's this real opportunity to to reach a d- different group as well, and I, I would encourage us to. Uh, uh, think about that and to 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 reach to the local groups and and be patient in the responses because it may not be fast.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I don't think anyone should be afraid to reach out. And especially now, there are a lot of Virginia tribes that are seeking federal recognition. So they need the support of their communities. They need us to stand with them as as fellow Virginians and and support them. And in return, they would most likely absolutely support someone that had good intentions and seek partnership
1: is there any uh guidance you would have for someone who who does want to try to make an inroads with their local tribe or nation like a, a way to go about it um how to speak to them um what what to say what not to say any 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 guidance for anything like that
2: um I, again, like I can only speak from like my own. Uh, experience with my own tribe in terms of reaching out it just it depends on the tribe some tribes are really on it with social media and and an online presence and you know just a good old old old-fashioned email Um, there are others that are they're just starting to kind of come into fruition in terms of organization and I would just keep an eye on calendars of when festivals are, when powwows are. Just educate yourself first. Uh, don't approach them and expect them to teach you. It Much like any other culture, there's so much more respect when there's effort put into place to get to know a particular group of people prior because then it's important to you. And, uh just just being part of the events and supporting their their powwows would be a great step forward. I do know that the Monacans are very friendly in terms of scouting. I believe there has been connections in the past with different scouters in our lodge and our council that had uh relationships with other Monacan leaders. But I believe those people have moved on and, um, you know, there's a new generation. So it's just, it's on our part. And like any, you follow the scout oath and law and how you approach any group of people, you're, you're going to be okay. Let's not preface every uh, interaction with, may we use your, your regalia, please. (laughs) The more that I learn about a regalia, even with my own tribe, like I made the mistake as a member of my own tribe asking specific questions during my language cohort and got shut down really fast because that is something that is never mentioned unless it's a one-on-one situation. Mm. And I, it was like I essentially through Zoom got my hands slapped and that was an education just within my own on how to approach my own tribe.
1: That's something I never would have considered. Maybe the, mm. just the context of speaking to yes. someone. Because I yep. I went to I went to the powwow because I figured that was the best way mm-hmm. of getting in touch with the chief and I and I was able to speak to the chief and to their mm-hmm. medicine man and that sort of thing and I thought this is great I'm making <laughs> inroads I'm talking and I'm trying to be respectful but maybe just me even being there and asking questions was not respectful.
2: I don't think you should ever feel as though asking questions is a bad thing. I think. Unless someone already has a preconceived idea or, you know, like issue, I mean, a question should always be okay. And I'm sure they were respectful at it (laughs) and coming from a good place. I mean, I showed up in my
1: finest uh, Kevin Costner dances with wolves.
2: (laughs) I'm surprised you made it past the fry bread vendor. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's funny you mentioned the uh, Museum of American Indian. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, there is, it, there is an, in one of their exhibits, there is an OA uh, sash and handbook.
2: Oh, awesome.
1: It's in the exhibit about cultural appropriation.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh, yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> that that might be our answer, folks. Yeah, we, we've got some work to do. Mm-hmm. I hope that this is, I I hope we are going to witness a whole new way of how BSA does Native American culture, and it's exciting.